is Generation Justice, a multimedia project training youth to harness the power of media. I'm Kenya Alonzo. Tonight, on this special edition of Generation Justice, we invite you into a discussion on youth-led organizing in New Mexico, with a panel of amazing young activists and organizers from around the state. Panelists tonight include Janelle Astorga-Ramos of the Southwest Organizing Project, Michelle Nergia of the New Mexico Dream Team, myself, Kenya Alonso of Generation Justice, Angie Najera of Young Women United, Mia Spekarok of Table Women United, Andrew Hollowhorn of La Placita Institute, Isabella Baker of Learning Alliance New Mexico, Selena Villa of UNM QTPOC, and Delia Ruan of the New Mexico Asian Family Center, with translation by Hain Ugalde. This panel took place at the Funders Collaborative on Youth Organizing, National Convening in Albuquerque, and is moderated by Emma Jones, who has been a community organizer in Albuquerque for 15 years. Please enjoy this uplifting example of the power of youth voices and action. Thank y'all. Uh, my name's Emma Jones, and I've been organizing inside Albuquerque in the Southwest for about like 15 years or so. I started off doing community organizing when I came into a youth organization through the Southwest Organizing Project. I did it because growing up in New Mexico was pretty rough. I didn't want to just like see changes happen. I wanted to be a part of making those changes happen in my community. And so I started doing organizing and it's changed my life, my perspectives, and I'm continuing to do it now that I'm an adult. And I'm really fortunate and thankful to be here with these beautiful, lovely organizers that are coming all over from the state of New Mexico who have both moved to New Mexico or have been here their whole lives. And today we're going to be talking a little bit to ground you in what it's like being in New Mexico, in the Southwest. Part of the reason why we had this uh, convening here inside New Mexico really was because we wanted to uplift the history, the long history of resistance to colonization and resiliency that our communities have had in the Southwest United States and to uplift that, especially given in this current political moment when we're facing like some pretty hard times. We're facing like some really difficult power shifts that have made our organizing harder and made us have to be at the forefront of resisting and being resilient once again inside our nation's history. And so we wanted to like uplift that. Today we're gonna to be talking and getting to know some of their organizers that have been doing organizing here. We're gonna be talking about who they are, why they organize, and why New Mexico history and New Mexico organizing is so unique and different, and like what has rooted them and why they do this work. And so I'm joined today by a bunch of amazing panelists, um, and we're gonna let them introduce themselves. I have a couple questions to start them off. So it's a name, organization that you represent or work with or have worked with, what kind of organizing do you or have you done, your PGPs, and then uh, like describe in one sentence what it's like to organize in New Mexico. So, hi everybody, my name is Janelle Astorga Ramos. Um, I have been organizing since I was 14 years old and I actually started off with the organization Young Women United and they focus around reproductive justice. And they got me really interested in learning about just like my body and how important it is to care for yourself and make sure that you are making your own decisions with your body. And I think the biggest thing that has got me into organizing was they were working on a memorial at the time that uplifted young parents. And my mom had me when she was 14. So it was kind of, you know, in my whole life that I'm not going to be anything because my mom was a young mom and my mom wasn't going to be anything because she was a young mom. So being able to have an organization that kind of uplifted us and said, you know what, it doesn't matter where you come from or, or 
what you've been through, you can succeed as long as you put your mind to it and you're loved and we're going to care for you. So YU actually brought me into SWAP. So I'm representing the Southwest Organizing Project on this panel. Um, I focus mostly on education and youth rights with SWAP, but they do a whole bunch of different things from environmental justice to food justice to feminism work. Um, so my experience with youth rights and education is I helped lead a walkout that I'll be talking about later on in the panel. And I also have started a youth group within Albuquerque Public Schools around social justice that is actually partnered with Albuquerque Public Schools that teach students about, you know, just different things from the Student Bill of Rights that we have here in New Mexico to how to run your own campaign to change policies or to change little things in your school. And that's kind of like my biggest project right now and something that I really find useful when it comes to students who are targeted, especially young students of color. And my PGPs are her, she, and hers. Uh, mi nombre es Michelle Murguía. Um, my pronouns are, son she, her, ella. Y vengo representando United We Dream y New Mexico Dream Team. Mi punto más fuerte en lo que yo trabajo es organizando jóvenes en las escuelas preparatorias y miroscos. Principalmente um, trabajo con jóvenes indocumentados y familias indocumentadas. Entonces, pero también tengo uh, ese, esa conexión con la comunidad. Y yo diría que poder, power, representa el poder de Albuquerque. Okay, so I'm going to, I will be interpreting to the best of my abilities what Michelle said. My name is Michelle Murguía. My PGP is she, her, ella, her. She mentioned that she's currently working with undocumented immigrant students. So what New Mexico means to her is power. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hey, um, I'm Kenya Alonzo. I'm with Generation Justice, and before I, <laughs> and before I go into it, I'd like to just say my clans. I'm I'm Indigenous. I'm Navajo and Zuni. My fraternal parents are Zuni, and my maternal parents are Black Strict people. Uh, my PGPs are she, her, and hers. And at Generation Justice, I'm currently an intern. I've been with them for three years, and to me, organizing in New Mexico is resilience. Hi, um, my name is Angie Najera. Um, I am with Young Women United. I just want to say that Young Women United is so awesome. They're like my second family. I know that if I need to go somewhere or if I need to talk to someone that means something to me, I can go straight to them. They're so amazing right now. We have our eight-week institute that we're doing um, where we're learning about how to file taxes or how to open a savings account. We're having our sex ed units, and it's so awesome. My gender pronouns are hers, her, and she. And me, to me, New Mexico is strong. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Mia Speckledrock, and first I just want to thank all of you guys for coming out here because I know for a lot of us, getting making the time to come to things like this is really hard, but it's also really exhilarating to see how many people are out here trying to do the same thing that we're doing. Um, my preferred gender pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am with Tewum United, and I've been with them since I was 14. I'm 17 now, so it's been, feels like forever, but it's been pretty short, and um, 
I started with them with their uh, sexuality and body sovereignty program. And um, I also work it within my school within our suicide prevention program. Uh, organizing in New Mexico for me is resistance and persistence. Andrew my name is Andrew Hollowhorn. I um, come from the Pine Ridge Reservation as well as the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota. I'm also Eastern Band Cherokee, um, Mississippi Choctaw, Chichimeca, and Assiniboine from Canada. Uh, I'm here representing um, La Pazita Institute as well as a Native American Community Academy. Um, for me, uh, I've been with La Pazita for another like four, almost entering my fourth year, but actually working with them this last summer and I feel like over there is um, good restorative justice, uh, social justice, and food justice. And I feel like um, La Pazita has opened up many doors to the community as well as me. Uh, for me, the one thing I learned over there is um, how I can use my art artistic abilities to help um, provide for the community with our silk, uh, silk screen printing shop and help my, um, uh, my bro, Eddie. And for me, I feel like uh, New Mexico is um, strong and I feel like all the different organizations around here make it uh, what it is today, all the strong com components that it is. So thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Isabella Baker. Um, I'm here representing Learning Alliance New Mexico today. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. The work that I've done, I've mostly done a lot of educational work. I started organizing when I was nine, so it's been nine years now. I've done a lot of educational organizing. I currently do reproductive justice, criminal justice organizing, as well as more educational organizing. If I could say like one thing that New Mexico organizing is, it's family, because when I was younger, I started organizing because people in my family were organizers, and so that created like a line of organizers, and we're all kind of like a big family once we all get to know each other. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Selena Villa. My pronouns are they, then theirs, and I work at the UNM LGBTQ Resource Center, where I'm the lead for UNM's Queer Trans People of Color group. I revived the group about two years ago because the university works as an institution. There's a lot of racism and a lot of perpetuation of oppression. And I felt that a lot of QDPOC people really needed a safe space to voice their concerns and so we could organize and hold the university accountable for its actions. I would describe New Mexico in one word as uh, rooted. Hi, I'm Delise Ruan. I'm with the New Mexico Asian Family Center. So I'm actually a young spring chicken. I joined them this summer for the YES internship for the summer. It was great because I got to tag along with them for all of the different things that they do. And mainly the New Mexico Asian Family Center focuses on making um, certain services more accessible to the Asian community, like culturally tailored. So um, we have a lot of different programs like involving sexual assault and domestic violence. Um, and then also problem gambling. This summer, you know, we kind of joined them in discussing like the screening process that's more um, aware for victims, things that aren't um, as, I guess, triggering. Then also right now I'm currently working on some media projects like um, for the anti-racism day that we have here in New Mexico, I'm making a video about how racism affects me.
Oh, and my PGPs are she, her, and hers. And in New Mexico, um, if I were to describe you know, youth organizing here, I'd say it's pretty optimistic. I'm gonna say we have some badass organizers here. <laughs> and I'm excited to start this conversation off. And the first question is, given your culture and your identity, what's it like growing up in New Mexico? What's it like to live here? What's it like to work here? And what's it like to organize here? So I've lived in Albuquerque my whole life, born and raised here. And I grew up in a small town, small little community called San Jose. So in that community, we have a lot of industries that come in. And it's mostly like a Chicano, Mexicano community. So it's also considered a low-income community. And we have a lot of industries that come in and pollute our water, pollute our air. So we're also considered the community with the highest population of asthma for our students, which is an elementary school. San Jose community is basically rooted in like resistance and resilience. And we have continuously fought companies and industries out of our community. And we just got a big win. There was this factory that wanted to come into our community that we kind of pushed out, which is a huge victory for us. It was, it was a paint manufacturing company. They were like trying to like mix paint there or something crazy like that. Yeah, and so like a lot of these companies just come in mostly because it's a low-income community, so it's cheap for them to buy the land, cheap for them to buy the resources that they need. So with these factories, obviously they're polluting our air, our water, just everything that we need to survive. So we end up being sick all the time and unhealthy and wondering why because we aren't educated on what's going on within our community a lot of the times. So being able to know like what's happening within my community and being able to know that these things are wrong and that there's a way to stop it <clears throat> has really made me a better organizer because it, it directly affects me and who I am and where I grew up. And it affects you know, just people that I care about deeply. So I think that's the biggest way to keep organizing moving is when you know how to fight back. Hi, um, I grew up on a reservation for some of my childhood, and after seeing all the struggles that happen on the reservation, like addiction, abuse, alcoholism, poverty, it's kind of ingrained in my mind that that's what indigenous people are, that's kind of what it looks like, but now that I'm in an organizing scene, meeting other indigenous youth who are incredibly powerful and beautiful, I'm understanding that that's not it. Another factor in that is, while I was growing up, I mainly grew up at my grandma's house on the reservation, and they're amazing. <laughs> they're so full of love, and they're warm, and they're strong, and they've impacted me the most, because I can see that even in like areas of struggle and overall negativity, there's always going to be people who are so strong and full of love. Because of that, my other half of my experience growing up in New Mexico has been very rich and lovely. I wasn't born and raised here in New Mexico. I moved here three years ago, and I love it. Um, before I came here, I lived in Odessa, Texas, which is really small, not much to do there. And when I came here, I noticed that there was lots of homeless people on the street, and that was something I was not used to, especially over there in Odessa, Texas, because no matter how poor you are, you have somewhere to stay whether it's with your aunts, whether it's with your cousins, whether it's in someone's backyard, you had somewhere to stay. I felt bad for these people, and I 
wish I could have done something for all these people that were out here who had nowhere to sleep, who hadn't eaten in weeks, who were brushed off of people's shoulders, didn't want to be recognized. Like, when I started organizing here, I met a lot of people who also felt the same way. We wanted to do something different. You know, we wanted to help them. And when I met those people, they told me, like, well, there's, there's reasons why they're out here. There's reasons why they have nowhere to stay. There's reasons why they haven't eaten in weeks. And once they started to explain that to me, I, I understood. I understood that it wasn't my fault. I understood that it was their decision to stay out on the streets. Or they, they were kicked out of their homes at such a young age. Organizing has made me realize that even if it was their decision, there's still something I can do, whether it's to help them find a shelter, whether it's to give them money to eat or have something to drink. It's not my fault, but I can help. Yo hago este trabajo porque principalmente me inspiró este ver cómo mi comunidad y principalmente los jóvenes indocumentados tomaron la decisión de salir de su sombra. Ver eso es algo que a mí me llena de alegría, ya que estoy viendo que estamos viendo todas estas grandes injusticias. Eh, y todo empezó porque cuando yo llegué aquí a Estados Unidos, este, me hicieron bullying mi primer año en Mirosco, típico, por cómo me miraba, por cómo hablaba. Entonces, pasado ese año, vi tantas, tantas cosas malas que pasaban en mi escuela, aunque vivía en la parte sur de Alburquerque. Entonces, empecé a ver a mi comunidad, empecé a ver si yo estoy viviendo en un lugar donde está lleno de mi gente mexicana, latina, está ahí porque estamos sufriendo eso en nuestras escuelas. Entonces, cuando yo entré a high school, fue cuando una maestra me dijo, oh, existe New Mexico Dream Team, entró New Mexico Dream Team a mi vida, eh, pude entender que no debí haber tenido miedo, no debí estar avergonzada de ser indocumentada o por mi color o por cómo hablo. Y no simplemente el ver a los jóvenes indocumentados me inspira, sino a nuestros aliados, porque ellos están mirando eh, la realidad, lo que nos está pasando. Ellos están mirando que necesitamos su apoyo y ver eh, su apoyo en mi comunidad, en personas como yo, eso para mí es hermoso, escuchar a un chavito que no sabe lo que he pasado yo, pero él está dispuesto a luchar, a protegerme a mí. Entonces, desde ese momento, yo decidí no tener más miedo, proteger a mi familia, pero sacarla adelante conmigo. Y este, por aquí está mi hermana, gracias a Dios, mi hermano. Y estoy tan orgullosa de que conocí esta organización, porque si no hubiera sido de ella, yo no estaría aquí. No hubiera ayudado a toda esta gente en, que he conocido. Y creo que hice un paso en mi vida en la que ellos tuvieron la oportunidad también de salir de esa cueva donde estaban encerrados. Y creo que gracias a esta organización de jóvenes, gracias a todos ustedes, nuestra gente está empezando a salir, está empezando a dejar de tener miedo, porque creo que es muchas injusticias. Y por eso es que yo empecé a organizar, porque me di cuenta de todo 
de todos los problemas que hemos pasado y no por simplemente ser mujer de color, mexicana, inmigrante, sino porque estoy en este país lleno de racismo, de abuso, de acoso sexual, pero incluso seguimos aquí, somos mujeres, somos hombres, saliendo adelante. Y pues principalmente esa es mi razón por la que yo eh, estoy organizando y quiero seguir organizando por muchos años más. What inspires Michelle to work and organize is her community, the undocumented community that she is working with and that she has been working with and organizing for the past years. Ever since she went to middle school, she noticed that there was a lot of bullying within her school and she went through some injustice that happened to her in, within her school. And so she, she started asking herself, what's going on? Why is the Latino community suffering within the educational system? And so that is the reason why she was able to, to get involved when she was in high school. She was able to get involved with the, with the UNM Dream Team and with the New Mexico uh, Dream Team. And currently, she is very thankful, and it's a blessing for her as well, to be able to find this amazing group of organizers that make her proud every day. And not only the, do the uh, people who are organizing, the undocumented immigrant students who decided to come out of the shadow inspire her, but also the allies who are standing with her every day and are able to stand up for her, like young children who are able to stand up for her as well. That is the reason why she's, she's organizing. And also because living in the United States and facing sexism, abuse, racism, and all of these that we are facing within this country has allowed her to continue organizing and to come out of the shadows along with uh, many other people who are not afraid and many other family members who are not afraid to step out of the shadows and not live in fear anymore. Again, I'm going to restate the question. Also, I kind of want to add some context to. New Mexico is one of the poorest states in the nation. On average, inside the U.S., one in six kids are hungry, but in New Mexico, one in three kids are hungry. It's the most food insecure state inside the U.S., even though we're like a huge agricultural state. We grow food here. There is a large population of people who are homeless. In terms of like every list, we're on the bottom of it. You know, worst test scores around the nation, the worst education, the least kids who have access to healthcare, the least amount of kids who have access to food. So this shows up in a lot of different ways, and it has a long history that dates back to how the like U.S. was colonized, how our communities were colonized. So I just wanted to put that out there. And the question again was, uh, what's it like growing up for you and your community? What's it like growing up here? What's it like to organize here and to like live and work in these spaces? So I'm originally from El Paso, Texas, um, but I did move to Albuquerque for college. So my experience here is through higher education, which I do recognize as a privilege. But there's also hardships with that too because we need to recognize these institutions were built by cisgender heterosexual white men, meaning that it will only benefit cisgender heterosexual white men. So that puts a lot of queer trans people of color and just people of color in general um, under, through a lot of struggles and through a lot of fights because these systems that work within these institutions, they're never going to benefit us because they were never created for us. So organizing through higher education has, has really been something because I've met a lot of resilient re revolutionaries through my organizing. As an organizer for you know, queer trans people of color, I'm usually asked, what is your primary focus? 
And that's a really hard question because we also need to recognize that every single struggle is a queer trans struggle, meaning queer trans people of color face police brutality. We are struggling to access healthcare, to access food. Citizenship status is um, a struggle for queer trans people. It's been an array of struggles and fights that I've been through and I've worked with other people, but it's been great because, I've, like I said, I've met a lot of great people through it, and it just keeps me going and not giving up because, you know, it's, sometimes it really, really does get hard, but you just have to do what you have to do because white people aren't going to do it for you, so you have to do it for yourself. I was born at the Santa Fe Indian Hospital, and I was one of the first babies born there. Even just between the time that I was born and my brother, which is five years, that's when the Indian Hospital stopped delivering babies. And I found of, of a whole bunch of other things that were going on too in that time. I was also raised on the Santa Clara Reservation, which is just outside of Española, and it's practically a part of Española. For me, my experience, I mean, a lot of my family and um, my cousins were all very poor, just scraping by. But like my parents, they never really showed that. So that's, that's kind of where I come from, where I go into the city. I'm like, wow, everything's so amazing. But it's like, and then you come back here and it kind of makes you feel like a little sad. But like you want to come back and you want to make everything better. So that's where a lot of my motivation comes from. With the whole Native American culture, I feel like... I think this, this kind of goes along with a lot of other cultures too, but I can't really say, but it's um, the toxic masculinity because a lot of uh, men are pressed, you know, they can't say what they want to say. And even for us women, we can't say what we want to say. And now there's a lot of changes happening like in the Kiva where that used to be a place of like solace and, and it was nice to go there like as a kid, but now we can't go there just because there's too many people arguing and fighting over what's right and what's wrong and with the addition of this political climate. It's hard to be doing this organizing, but if anything, it's just riveting us all to continue to try to fight for these changes that we want to see. So I grew up here in Albuquerque, um, and I was born here. Um, my family currently lives in Las Lunas, though. I love New Mexico. I love the culture. I love the beauty of it. I love Albuquerque. Um, but as a young child, being from parents who had me when they were 16 years old and being a person of color and a woman, I had a lot of issues with education, especially in the Albuquerque public school system. As Emma was talking about, we have some of the worst education in the U.S. So I had a lot of issues with oppression when I was in elementary school um, and being able to participate in things like gifted classes and stuff like that because most of the people that were in gifted classes in my um, elementary school were upper class white kids. And so I had a lot of trouble getting into the, those classes. Um, and then I went to middle school and I had even more trouble getting into avid classes and all of that. So I ended up having to go to a charter school. I faced issues there being a person of color also because um, a lot of people in my charter school were upper middle class white people and so were the teachers. But I did end up graduating from there and I considered it a privilege that I'm able to attend college right now. That was part of the experiences that caused me to start organizing. 
the effects, seeing that effect on my younger siblings, especially my younger brother who also has mental health issues in addition to being a person of color, and how education affects him caused me to start organizing. Um, that's why I started with early education, because when my stepmom started organizing, it was for him, because he was in early education at that time, and he had a mental illness, and he faced a lot of issues. We both continue to do that into like all grades of school, all areas of life, and then I've done a lot of work with like high schoolers and um, encouraging like higher education and also alternatives to higher education because higher education isn't for everybody and that doesn't make you a failure in life. And so I like to encourage that as well. And so that's like a lot of the work that I've done and how my organizing like was sparked. So I was born and raised here in Albuquerque, and you know, when I tell that to most people, they're like, what, no way. Because, um, you know, usually they preface with, where are you from? And you know, then you have to go through the hoops of like, but where are you really from? You mean, where are my parents from? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's kind of weird growing up and being an Asian because most people just assume that all Asians are the same. Um, I'm Chinese. And, you know, like, I, I'm very glad that I can go to school and do all of these things. And I, I guess I, if you're looking at a glance uh, from far away, I might fit the stereotype that I do well in school and I can go to college and everything like that. But that is so not true for, like, everyone in the Asian community. Like, there are a lot of Southeast Asians who don't really get to go to college or have that sort of higher education. Um, and they're always overlooked because they're just fitting within this umbrella term of Asian. Um, yeah, it's pretty rough. And I guess that that's kind of a trend that I tend to see in a lot of like youth organizing is that there just aren't enough options and there's not enough representation. So um, I guess that's mainly what we get to do here when we get to do um, youth organizing, that we advocate for more options like cultural studies in school or, you know, more options for people who are, like, in the trans community. You know, just things like that. I think that that's what really motivates me to do youth organizing. Like, sometimes it is really easy to get depressed, especially, like, when you look at the news and you're like, oh, God. Again, <laughs> meeting other people, especially young people like you guys, is really nice. Um, I'm going to say this in the easiest way possible for me, and I'll translate after. Le Albuquerque LYT, Le Waziaha Hemataha, Le Pine Ridge Hemataha. Le Hochoka na Hunka ate, Le Miate, Waziaha LT, Le Hochoka ina LT, Le Misunkala naha Tangshi LT in Waziaha, Le Sharps Corner LT, Le Mitioshpae Le Ye Chinkyanke. The, the Albuquerque, New Mexico. For me, the struggles were hard because me being a Native American man, but not being a part of the tribes that are nearby here. I'm Lakota and I've always been Lakota. My my hunka ate albino and his wife Ashley uh, are now in um, uh, Waziahaha, the Pine Ridge Reservation. And right now, living north of Sharp's Corner with their kids, uh, my little brothers and sisters. And I feel like when I go up there, that the problems that I have here are almost the same, but just a little bit different. 
only because all the struggles I carry are individual to myself when I come here. That me chante na is strong. My heart is uh, strong, but I never had the time to myself to notice that. At the time to notice that, that Lakota uh, means allies for us in the Dakota language. That we were supposed to be allies with everyone and everything around us. And through time and through colonization and through everywhere, I've come to seeing that even Lakotas are aren't being that way. So coming here in New Mexico, being born here and being raised here is a little bit different. Assuming when I, for me, assuming when I was younger that I would um, have the same struggles as a, another um, Navajo boy or another Pueblo boy would have. But I wasn't Navajo or Pueblo, I was Lakota. And in that you carry your own struggles um, away and that's separate from the um, nearby tribes. I've come to um, be raised here in New Mexico in um, isolation in the sense that I, it wasn't forced upon me, but I felt comfortable with it as well. So organizing was, in a way, just something I always kind of did. It was to something little, even to organizing whatever I had in my room, to helping the people in my own family, and then to go back home and see the same struggles and see what I can help there. La Posita has definitely helped me to understand that it's not just on the reservation that's happening, not just my reservation, where it's said to be one of the poorest reservations, where the mortality rate is close to 50 years of age. That organizing has led me to change to definitely not go into what society thinks about me as a Ogallala coming from the reservation, but to also come out as a great Native American educator, but not in the education system but to educate um, different indigenous people on what the struggles that I've had on my own as a Lakota, and to go back to Lakota country and teach Lakota. Me, I've learned the uh, Lakota language in the past three years, and at least to say enough, I'm close to proficient. And I'm thankful for that, being away from the Lakota land and still learning the language. So I feel like definitely organizing um, helped me realize and come to the fact that I was around many people that had the same struggle and I was thankful for that. But to also connect with them and to work with them on a better uh, life, not just for myself, but people that are um, the next generation is coming up, next generation being born yesterday, today, and tomorrow, to help them not feel alone in an area that um, they're not really close to around family. Sweet. Welcome back to Generation Justice, where tonight we take a listen to the Grounded in New Mexico panel discussion on youth organizing. The panelists include Janelle Astorga-Ramos of SWAP, Michelle Nergia of the New Mexico Dream Team, myself, Kenya Alonso of Generation Justice, Angie Nergia of Young Women United, Mia Spekorak of Tewa Women United, Andrew Hollohorn of La Placita Institute, Isabella Baker of Learning Alliance New Mexico, Selena Villa of UNMQTPOC, and Delius Ruan of the New Mexico Asian Family Center. This discussion is moderated by Emma Jones, with translation provided by Jaime Ugalde. Let's join the discussion. In my experience growing up in New Mexico, I definitely know that there's racial inequities, there's systemic poverty and oppression that exists here, and because of that, it's changed the way and how and shaped how we've had to do organizing, how we've had to work to build power. So like, what are some of the ways, what are some of the tactics and strategies that you use here in New Mexico, and how is that different from that you've seen around the country, and how is it just different? What has worked for you? What's worked well for you? Because I know that those inequities exist, and they're really heavy, they're strong, the presence is very real. So 
I went out to this big conference in DC, and it was a bunch of other youth organizers from different parts of the country. And all these people, because they come from, they, have, they live in big cities, they can have the quantity of people involved that we can't exactly have here. So for us, we have to focus on quality and making sure that, that we just catch a few people who can you know, get this and then it creates a web and it goes out and out and hopefully they'll continue our work. And for me and Tailwind United, I think we can all, they can relate too that that's, that's been kind of the a base for where our, our work has to go. Um, inequities, yes, I feel like that's uh, reached um, all the minority communities here. And it's, it's surprising and not at the same time because of, it's surprising because there's so many different minority groups here, such as the Chicano um, people and all the Native Americans and the African Americans here. But it's not surprising only because of what the um, colonization has done to the state as well is that what's influenced our own brains and what we made to think of ourselves. I've been sadly used to the fact that inequity has always been in my life, just because, not just because I'm brown, but it's a specific type of brown, I should say. That I'm Native American, and in society, no one um, cares to think of us as a big problem because we're not the biggest population. And so definitely inequity has even um, fallen upon us through the different minority groups as well. And so I think, Definitely through programming and um, through the organizations I've been with, it's definitely helped, uh, not just for me being a Lakota and a Chicano man, but to understand where everyone else is coming from, but also show them that we're coming from the same place, coming from the same problems that the colonizers has put us through, through the last 400 years, through the last 500 years, and that colonization was an idea. It's not a way we have to live through our lives. That Everyone has been sadly colonized, even here in what we're doing right now. That, for me, I try to do it the best I can to decolonize my own mind, for not to eat um, cow every day as a burger, but to um, go to a vegetable, and then the next day go away from that vegetable to something that I was used to, to choke cherry. So going off from a cow to, to, to celery, to uh, cucumber, then to choke cherry, to turnips, to something I was true and natural to. But everyone here has to take their own little steps here. And you can't make something dramatic because your own body's not used to it because of what you put yourself through. I feel like through organizing, not of my choice, but also I just led into my own colonization as well through modern times. And I feel like organizing that everyone can decolonize their own, their own selves, their own body, their own way of thinking by doing one little step at a time. And one easy way to do that is food. And that's one, one thing Lapazita has helped me with is to better... Um, help our foods because I am not a part of a, um, a crops or a, um, a farming uh, tribe. We're more hunters, but there still was vegetables there to help us. To hopefully later on, where I'm a kakao, where I'm a grandfather, I'll be teaching my own grand grandchildren and how to make sure they're truly eating indigenous. That all the proportions are not to where it's um, nutrition based, but to where everyone gets a little piece. Where you have to think of everyone in the camp and your family and all the communities. So definitely, I think through this, I feel like or this organization, La Pazita, and as well as going back home more recently to help me realize that indigenous mindset is not just of who you are if you're not an indigenous person, but you can still think indigenous. That in all of us, indigenous mindsets are always in us because colonization, like I said, is only a, an idea that was formed around 500 years ago. That there are still indigenous mind th uh, mindsets and mind, um, the ways of thinking in South America. The, in Australia, in Africa, 
in China, and even in Europe, where all the colonizers started from, all the colonization started from, there was still some kind of indigenous thinking there. But somehow through um, years of mankind, it changed. And so I feel like definitely being here, inequity is something that we kind of cause into ourselves, but something that obviously, because we cause it into ourselves, that we can end it as well. The more that we talk, you're going to realize how much we love New Mexico and love Albuquerque and its beauty. Um, but I'm going to start with something kind of funny when it comes to strategies. We have a joke here in New Mexico that we're so small, everybody's basically related, so you got to watch out who you're dating because they're probably your cousin, which is sometimes true. When it comes to strategies in New Mexico, something that I had personal experience with is social media. And social media actually helped me lead a walkout that went statewide and got national attention. So, so for us here in Albuquerque, and I'm sure around the US, I'm sure you know about the park test and how it's been such an issue within our education system. In New Mexico in 2015, the first year it was implemented, it was tied to graduation requirements, tied to teacher evaluations, tied to if you're gonna pass to the next grade or not, and just a bunch of high stakes that we knew weren't gonna help us succeed in life, but were rather gonna hurt us. So some of us students at Albuquerque High School, which is where I went, got together and we started just talking about you know, this test and how it was gonna impact the students at our school. And just by conversation, we as students decided, you know what, we don't want this test to happen because of privatization of education that's already going on throughout the United States. And our teachers who are already struggling to teach us because of all the metrics that they have to do and, and there's no communication between students and teachers because there's this animosity of, well, we need test scores, we need numbers, we need this and we need that. So we decided that we want to try and change that and stop that. So with just one post, my friend Maya, she kind of put together Albuquerque High School walkout at this time and it just went viral, like instantly within, on Instagram. So we had to like come together and organize. So I actually reached out to Emma and Swap and they helped give us the resources of what to do when you're doing a direct action. How do you act, how do you contain people and make sure that you know the media isn't portraying us as these students who just like want to walk out of school. We came up with our own code of conduct, so we made sure that students were prepared when media or any teacher or any administration asked us questions. They knew why we were walking out. They knew that we were serious in what our action was. In order to kind of combat the narrative of we just want to walk out because we don't want to go to class, we made sure that. We walked out for two hours, which was in the morning when the testing window was open, and then we returned to class after that testing window was closed in order to show and to prove that we wanted, we're doing this for our education, not to get out of our education, right? It went super successful at Albuquerque High School, and, and then the next day, other cities joined in with us, and then by the third day, almost every single city in New Mexico was walking out. We also got the test shortened, we got it available for ESL students, and we got more time on the test for students that had learning disabilities because that wasn't an option before. So we had super like, successes that we can you know, say were victories for us, but at the same time, we had to take a step back because through social media also, we were learning that a lot of the successes that we thought were happening at our school, at Albuquerque High, weren't happening the same at other schools. They were getting pepper sprayed, and students were getting pushed out of their of, like, schools and they weren't being allowed back into the school to go to their classes. And they weren't able to like go to the restroom or get lunch or anything. So parents were actually showing up to the schools, like demanding that their children like be released. And parents were like furious. Like, wouldn't you be like so mad if you found out that this was happening to your child? 
they showed up like a ton. Like shout out to all the parents in New Mexico who walked out with their students. So it, it was just like an amazing all together like strategy that we all pulled off and it all happened through social media. So it's pretty awesome. Algunas estrategias que yo uso personalmente es este hablar con las personas de frente a frente. Tenemos que entendernos primero para saber cuál es el problema en realidad, qué es lo que está pasando en nuestra comunidad. Entonces creo que principalmente conociendo a nuestra comunidad ha sido una de las grandes estrategias que ha hecho que nuestra organización este, tenga victorias. Basado en eso, este, sí nos ha ayudado la, las redes sociales, sí nos ha ayudado los medios, pero pre, más que todo ha sido nuestra voz. Como nosotros como organizadores hemos aprendido a comunicarnos con nuestra comunidad e identificarnos para que ellos puedan comprender que no somos cualquier organización que les va a hacer daño o que queremos este, usarlos, porque muchas de las veces hay organizaciones que usan nuestras historias y las basan en doble sentido. Entonces, este, las estrategias que yo he usado principalmente ha sido tener contacto con mi comunidad. Así es como yo y mi equipo hemos logrado sacar a los chavitos a los walkouts, a, hemos tenido nuestros rallies, hemos ido a, hemos, tenemos un chapter en cada high school, pero todo eso es basado en entrenamientos, en comunicación y este, en comprensión, porque primeramente para, hacer, para tratar un problema tienes que comprenderlo directamente con las personas. Entonces, uh, pues sí, esa es mi estrategia más fuerte que yo tengo y creo que mi equipo también lo tiene. So, one of the things that Michelle has done in her work as an organizer, and one of the strategies that has worked for her are one-on-one -on -one meetings with, with, with people, person-to-person, uh, -person, which is one of her personal strategies, and getting to know that community member or getting to know the issues that are happening within that community. One, and so getting to know the community, social media has helped as well, and more than that, it is the voice of the, of the, of the youth organizing, of the youth that are organizing. Um, their voices, their stories, getting to know the families that are living in, in those communities so that they can know that they're, that they're not using their, that community for their, for their benefits. And those are some of the ways that she has been, that personally she has been able to, to um, organize walkouts, organized in different high schools through the UNM Dream Team and through the, and through the Dream Team. And basically is, everything is based on communication and understanding of the community, of, of their community, her community. So something that I've seen in New Mexico be super um, like successful when planning events or planning um, direct actions is um, being intergenerational and being super culturally rooted in everything that we do. Of all the places that I've worked with, the organizations have been intergenerational in that they had youth programs and then they also had like 
older people there to guide the youth and they, then they also listened to like what the youth had to say also. Like in education, when we're talking about alternative assessments, there has to be um, parents, there has to be students, and there has to be teachers at the table when talking about that because students are the ones that it's affected by and oftentimes they're excluded from those conversations. Um, and being culturally rooted it's something that's super awesome and I love to see at events, especially in New Mexico, our history of resilience all the way back to like colonialism and like when the Spanish came here and like we had to be resilient. And so like having that power and knowing our history of our ancestors and it's like trickled down to us, it keeps us resilient, it keeps us powerful because we remember that and we have that inside of us. We have a question from the audience or comment. So my name is Mateo, I'm representing SWAP, shout out to the homies. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys a question, just throwing out a softball out here. Um, so I'm a firm believer that food is medicine and that uh, food is part of our culture. So I wanted to ask you guys if you guys could speak to the idea that food is a possibly a tool of fighting oppression. I was a former vegan because my whole focus was on decolonizing my diet. But what really made me think about this was that Having access to these types of foods is obviously a huge privilege. And the whole idea around veganism and eating fresh vegetables and, and cruelty-free is that it's kind of a bunch of BS because we also have to recognize um, the folks who are picking our food, who are working in these factories. It's, it's really hard to want to connect to your food when the people providing your food are going through these hardships and going through all these types of oppression. So it's kind of a hard question because, yeah, you want to do good for your body, but are, are you also doing good for the people who are providing this food for you? So. Uh, one thing I've um, learned was that as food, it was uh, always something that was, um, that was of high value. You know, because of being from a hunt, uh, hunting um, tribe, that was always a, a hard, it was a hard thing to learn, but once you um, grasp the knowledge of how to hunt, it was something that was great that you could provide for your people for once. As a young man, that was something that was, um, something that was, I guess, a, um, a turning point in your life to show that you could uh, provide not one for your family, not one for your, um, your siblings, but as well as the whole community. And for us, uh, food was definitely uh, something that was some, so important to us that we always gave back to um, the one who even gave us the food, the one who we hunted. <laughs> and so in that, I feel like there's something that was, has been lost, the connection to of what we're um, eating and where it comes from. And just like Mateo said, it is medicine. And, and out there, there is a lot of bad medicine out there. And it's also, um, in modern times, people who are making your food some, can sometimes have bad energy and that can transfer to you. Sometimes you just have to remember where your food truly comes from, and if you can, do it. Um, you um, figure out the way um, to make your own food. You figure out either the way to grow it, you figure out the way to hunt it. And I know it's even hard to even hunt nowadays. That your bodies are, um, are a living thing besides your mind. That you guys are two different things uh, in one, I guess, capsule per se. Because what I've learned is that truly as a person, as a human being, we don't own anything. We don't own these pants right here, we don't own our shoes, we don't own anything material. The only thing we can own is our skin. And is that during our different ceremonies, we give back to not just uh, our spirits, but to also all the, um, the food that we hunted the previous year. All that helps in not just food, but the way we think and the way we are culturally as a people. Thank you. We have another audience member question. Uh, so 
as us being youth, kind of like we're responsible for like future generations because eventually we'll have kids. Uh, so what is like a perfect Albuquerque, New Mexico, or wherever you end up living in the United States look like? And like what's going through people's heads? Like is there more acceptance uh, or more equality? So I think um, every time someone asks me like what an ideal like environment would look like for me, I always think about education and like that educational equity to me. So I want my kids to be able to have an education that's tailored to who they are um, and not just tailored to a broad spectrum of people. I want like future generations to be able to access education that's um, culturally sensitive so they can learn their histories and not just Eurocentric histories. And for them to be able to have learning that's tailored to them, whether that's hands-on, because a lot of the learning we currently have is lecture style and a lot of people don't learn that way. Definitely educational reform, as well as standardized testing. I don't want that to exist. Because standardized testing isn't beneficial to teachers, and it's not beneficial to students. Um, it's just beneficial to policymakers. When I think about like an ideal environment for like my children and future generations, I think about like the education that they're going to be receiving. I think that I would look less fear. Veo a nuestros hijos este, siguiendo luchando, pero no por nada más por los jóvenes, sino por nuestros padres, porque ellos han sido los primeros soñadores en cuestiones de eh, inmigración. Yo veo a mis hijos al lado de mí luchando, veo a todo el mundo luchando, viejitos, jóvenes, adultos, de la mano, fuertes, enseñándole a este país que no importa lo que hagan, no importa si nos ponen un muro, no importa si nos quieren deportar a todos, vamos a seguir unidos y no nos van a vencer, no nos van a vencer, porque vamos a seguir ahí, quizás no seamos nosotros, pero van a ser nuestros hijos, nuestros nietos, nuestros bisnietos. Entonces, yo es así como veo este país, sin miedos, menos miedo y más oportunidades como educacionales y no nada más en ciertos estados, sino en todo el país. One of the ways that Michelle looks at this country is by looking at people that do not have fear and looking at the youth who are also fearless. And also, uh, Michelle reminds, reminded us of the original dreamers who are our parents and who are the ones who, who are also fighting with us. She also mentioned that she sees future generations, her, her children, fighting together with her and she sees all of, our, all of our communities fighting together, and she sees communities that are not scared in this country as well. I just want to say I think the three biggest priorities for New Mexico's future generation should be access to organizations like this, better education, and a loving environment. And honestly, I just want to say to Albuquerque Public Schools, you can do better, and we deserve better. And Honestly, if we keep youth on this path, and if we keep teaching them and educating them, New Mexico's future generation will be unstoppable. That was a super good note to end on. I want to thank, say thank you all to the panelists. You guys are freaking amazing. Give it up for them.
coming to the end of another great program. We would like to thank our panelists, Janela Sargo-Ramos, Michelle Nergia, Angie Najera, Andrew Hollowhorn, Isabella Baker, Selena Villa, and Elias Ruan. And thank you to panel moderator Emma Jones, and thank you to Jaya Nugalde for translating. Production assistance came from Christina Rodriguez, Edgar Cruz, Kateri Zuni, and Roberta Rael. And thank you to all our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. And thank you to Monique and the Funders Collaborative on Youth Organizing for hosting this amazing event. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for helping to bring you, KUNM listeners, the voices of young people in New Mexico. Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to all our past radio programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe and rate us. We're also active on social media, so make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Kaunama Health Foundation, the Albuquerque Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Till next time, I'm Kenya Alonzo. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock.